Hey people, what's happening out there in Liberty Land? Welcome to number four of the Liberty Podcast. Uh, it's the 23rd of June, 2016, and you're here with me, Tom Laird. And, and me, Anthony Samaroff. And I hope you've all went out there and voted. If you haven't out, been voted yet, get out there and do it as soon as you can. It's an important decision. I've done it. Have you done it? I did it by post. You did it by so post. get out and vote leave. Yeah, make like a tree the, and leave. The, if you're not going to go and vote leave, polling's next week. So vote next week. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, do that. Or vote by post. Post it off today, set in class. <laughs> So anyway, Mr. Samarov, uh, what's bugging your what's uh, what's burning your toast this week? <laughs> well, I've got this article here from the Scotsman, which says Scottish teenagers have the best attitude towards saving money. Okay, what's uh, that's got to be a new thing because uh, I know that when I was a teenager, I wasn't all that good at saving money. I have to confess. Young people in Scotland have the best attitude towards saving and financial planning, according to a survey. A poll of 2,000 people, wow, wow, that's a really huge... That's a real cross-section of <laughs> And um, basically found that two-thirds of Scots consider themselves to be good at saving money, teenagers, compared to 45% of the northern east of England. Wow, this makes for a great story. You might wonder why I'm, co- why I'm covering this. Uh, why are you covering this, Anthony? <laughs> well, here's a question. Is it wise to save? Do you know what? I would think so, yeah. I mean, yeah, that would. I've, I've always been taught that. You know, we all get the little story about the grasshopper and the and the and the whatever it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and the beetle. What if you're ninety-five years old? Is it wise to save? Um, it could probably still be wise. It might not be uh, worthwhile. <laughs> now, supposing the inflation rate had gone up to one percent a day, would it still be wise to save? No. <laughs> whether or not it's wise to save is really highly subjective in okay. the time. I mean it depends on the economic circumstances of the time and your personal circumstances if you've got a very low income and you need food probably not the best time to save I would say in general it's probably wise to save Yeah. the problem is the government makes it unwise to save right And that's why I want to cover this today. When I was at university, I went around on Freshers Week and there was all these banks offering interest-free overdrafts of up to £3,000. That's less than the rate of inflation. Well, obviously, zero is less than the rate of inflation. Anyone would be a fool not to go into debt and take out as much interest-free overdraft, even if you're going to put that into an account. Mm. To and save. Just, and just get, yeah. I wish that I knew what I knew about economics right now when I was a student, because yeah. I would have just taken that money and bought gold, and I would have made a killing over those few yeah. years. Or property, if or you property. could get onto the property ladder with, with you know, several loans. So my current outstanding student loans are charged at an uh, interest rate of maybe around 1%. Okay. Why would I not pay that off taking the longest time I possibly could? Because every time I'm paying off my loan, I'm actually losing money. The value of the money of my student loan is going to be worth less in the future than it is now. So, essentially, 
we're encouraging debt. Oh, massively, yeah. The best. Even even post uh, the last economic debacle, you know, when everything was supposed to be, we were supposed to be tightening up our belts, supposed to be austerity, banks supposed to have got their act together, but yet still they're encouraging people to take out a lot of debt. George Bush said, go out and spend. Yeah. People don't really understand the purpose of interest rates. Also, when the interest rates are low and you're discouraging people from saving, you're actually maybe making it more difficult for people who want to borrow a loan to make a business Mm -hmm. from getting credit. There's less money being saved, therefore there's less credit available to loan. Even admitting that the, the banks can loan out nine times as much money as they actually have and savings so on a free market which we haven't had for a long time when it comes to interest rates an interest rate is a price it's the price of borrowing money if a lot of people are saving then the interest rate comes down because there's lots of money around and that would encourage people to save less but also to borrow more money to invest in projects invest in capital investments, buy factories, buy machines, um, invest in research, invest in businesses. If hardly anyone is saving, then the price of borrowing money goes up, which encourages people not to spend, but to go, hmm, look, the interest rates are really high. I should be setting some money aside in order to take advantage of high interest rates. The problem with the government giving the Bank of England here and the Federal Reserve the power to set interest rates is that this has become completely divorced from a rational mechanism that acts as a counterbalance and can create equilibrium Mm -hmm. between the number of savers and spenders. Instead, the central planners at the central banks have to guess what the best interest rate will be and their guess will never be impartial. It will always be partisan because whenever you adjust the interest rates, there's winners and losers. Yeah. Everyone who's got a mortgage is going to benefit favouring people who've already got some capital, already got some property, but that will push more money into the housing market because it's cheap to get a mortgage, which will mean that the house prices goes up. People who've been responsible and put money away are going to lose the value of that money. Yeah. So there's lots of unintended consequences to having the government via the Bank of England. I know they're meant to be divorced. They're meant to be a countervailing force. But essentially, the problem is, whether it's the Bank of England or the government, the purpose of interest rates is lost. The purpose of interest rates is meant to be the price of borrowing money. And that is meant to affect or be affected by real circumstances in the economy. Mm. In other words, the law of supply and demand. Since that started being centrally planned, that function is divorced. Most people don't even think about this. They don't even understand the function of interest rates, why they're important, and why the Bank of England should not be centrally planning them, Yeah, which is essentially communistic. As we're talking about it right now, so what would you say the solution is to this? What what would make it worthwhile for these guys, the youngsters? I mean, you're saying they're saving there. Are you saying they're foolish to do that? They would it'd be better if they they spent than saved. Well, and what's 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 the reason? What do you why do you think young people are saving? I think that people don't feel like the future is secure, and I don't think that young people are foolish to save. 
in an ideal world, they would be able to put that money maybe in the stock market and get a better return on their investment. But because there's so much manipulation mm. of the economy coming from the government, such as the central planning of interest rates, such as the government can print money at any time it likes, well, the Bank of England can, it's insecure to invest in the stock market. What's more, if we didn't have the government interfering in the interest rates and being able to print money at any time it wanted, there would be no need for these young people to invest in the stock market. There would be no need for everyone to have their retirement money in the stock market. The right. stock market was originally intended for people who know about business to invest in businesses. Because if you leave your money sitting in the bank, the rate of inflation is so high that it's basically gonna lose money. Yeah. There's no point saving. That means that people are coerced right. into putting the retirement money into the stock market. And that supercharges the stock market and means that when there's a crash, such as we saw in 2008, it's much greater than it would be if regular people could just save in the bank because the interest rate they're getting from the bank is much higher than the rate of inflation and the bank's going to have experts that are much better at investing that money than, say, the layperson or, or one of these agencies are. Yeah. So saving in of itself doesn't necessarily need to be a good thing. It just depends on the economic circumstances at the time. Saving is probably generally wise, but the extent to which people make the decision to save will be affected by economic circumstances, which is why I think it's so awful that central planning has removed the natural incentives to save via the central banks, which, you know, no one really on the left talks about and it's a really a fringe of what we call the right it's more libertarians yeah. that talk about right. it uh, there might be some conservatives in america who talk about it certainly you don't hear any conservatives in this country yeah. and i include ukip and conservatives who are talking about the importance of divorcing the state from the economy in this way yeah so my solution is, we shouldn't just have one currency, one national currency. People should be able to trade with whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And that will stop the manipulations of interest rates affecting everything that anyone might trade well. Yeah, but you know, people will come up and say, well, you know, the whole reason we've got a centralised bank in the first place is because, uh, you know, it was a complete disaster when we had competing currencies and we had different banks competing with one another. We had runs on banks. The whole reason for a centralised bank is to make the economy more secure so that people's savings are safe from runs on banks. That's, what, that's generally what people would, would come back at you with, I think. Well, I'm not saying I buy it, but yeah. That, you know. Well, I mean, are you more secure and safe from a run in the bank if there's only one banking system to choose from? There was a Bank of Glasgow that went bankrupt before the government agreed to insure depositors, and no depositors lost their money. Mm. The investors might have, but they were insured against that. They had insurance against things going badly. So even though the bank went bankrupt the depositors got their money when it was the idea to create this artificial thing which is created by the government called a corporation which protects people in that corporation from liability 
and they wanted to apply that to the banking system. A lot of bankers were against it because they said, no, this is going to cause corruption and so forth. And I will link to a great presentation on this in the okay, good. video description. So basically, banks should have to insure themselves against these kinds of instances, mm -hmm. which they don't have to do at the moment because the government underwrites people's deposits. And if they didn't do that on a free market, then less people would be likely to bank with them. Yeah. You know, there's always that fear or sneaky suspicion that you could save up a whole lot of savings and suddenly one day you go to the bank and find out that, um, you know, uh, you've, you've got £10,000 in the bank, but £10,000 basically what a loaf of bread is. <laughs> so uh, you've saved up for years. Congratulations, you can buy a loaf of bread now with our new worthless currency. And that may well happen if people don't understand the consequences of printing money. Okay. Caveat emptor. Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. You may or may not have heard, but Donald Trump, the Trump, the, Trump. the Don, is visiting this green and pleasant land of Scotland. He's coming, apparently, he's due to be here tomorrow. Wow. And he's going to visit, obviously, Turnberry Golf Course that he's invested in and his new golf course in Aberdeen. And there's a lot of people up there putting up Mexican flags uh, for some reason. Basically, they're, they're showing solidarity with the Mexican people who Trump has slighted. Um, look, it, Trump's just said he's going to. He said he's going to build a wall. I don't think he will. He said he's going to build a wall, but of all the things that people could say, I don't really think it's that bad. It's not like he ate a baby, you know, live on television. Uh, maybe a stupid thing to say, but I, I don't think it's really that bad in the scale of things. But anyway, there's a lot of people here. Not in favour of him coming. You know, the, the First Minister, as you know, Nicola Sturgeon, wanted to ban Trump from, from Scotland and, for, and from the United so Kingdom. illiberal? The <laughs> SNP are the worst party on civil liberties. Yeah. By the way, Donald Trump is not exactly great on civil liberties. No, he's not. He's not. He's, he ain't no libertarian, bruv. You no. know, he's very protectionist. He's got a lot of weird ideas. But I think he's got the right to... I mean, He's got the right to visit. He's got the right to visit. He's got, you know, this is a woman, by the way. You know, Nicola Sturgeon is, is fond of putting up hashtags, holding up hashtags for any bloody thing, you know, at the drop of a hat. And the last one I seen her holding up was "We have room here," but apparently she doesn't have room for Donald Trump <laughs> whatsoever. She doesn't like what he says. Now, full kudos, right, to J.K. Rowling on this. Did you did you see her I statement? Talk about J.K. Rowling, the author, right? I'm not talking about um, Robin vagrant alcoholics. J.K. Rowling is, uh, has said that Trump is welcome to come to her country and not because she agrees with him, she disagrees with almost everything that he says, but he's got a right to say it. He's a right to be bigoted, if indeed that's what he is, and she's then got a right to call him out on it. His, the right for him to say what he wants defends the right for her to call him a bigot. But to prevent him from coming to the UK based on something, you know, where I, does that stop? Isn't he? Well, exactly. What's the difference between him saying, "Oh, I want, don't want this Mexican to come in," and us saying, "Well, I don't want this Donald Trump to come in"? Well, it doesn't. It seems to be exactly the same to me. Um, you know, a lot of these people. I mean, I'm putting Nicola Sturgeon on on the left. She wants to prevent this guy coming here because she doesn't agree with him. Well, you know, UKIP doesn't want certain people to come to the United Kingdom because they don't agree with him. The National Front don't want certain people to come to Britain because they don't agree with him. I think 
If you look at some of the people that we have admitted to the UK, there's people out there who said we shouldn't have allowed the Pope to come to the UK because he's got some views on homosexuality, he's got some views on marriage, he's got some views uh, on a lot of subjects that aren't exactly fashionable. Let's be tolerant. I'd actually quite like to go and see him speak just for the fucking momentous occasion if that's what he was doing. I don't yeah. think he's doing it this I don't know time. if he's doing any speaking. I don't think he's going to have a lot of time. I think he's just doing not, the old in and out. Yeah. Will there not be egg on her chin if... If he actually gets elected president. If he actually president. gets elected and then these people actually have to work with him. Yeah, good luck on banning the president of the United, of the United States from Scotland, yeah. Is this just a case of... I mean, because at one time the SNP were all over this guy. They thought he was great because he was bringing investment. I'm sure mm-hmm. Alex Alex Salmon was, was very matey with him at one point. And weren't they pretty much against that guy who wouldn't sell Donald yeah. Trump his land for him to build his, his big theme park? You know, got, you know, 18-hole you know, crazy golf course, whatever it is he's doing up there. Well, it's all virtue signalling. If someone said something vaguely controversial... And I guess the things that Donald Trump said were quite controversial, but they were massively taken out of context to make him sound worse than he did. I mean, the thing about Mexicans was, apparently he said that Mexicans are rapists. If you look at the whole speech, he was basically saying that a subset of the people that came in were criminal. And yes, if you look at the stats, actually there were a lot of rapes of women and the immigration. He wasn't saying that all Mexicans were rapists. You'd think that he had, based on the reporting of it. What's more, the thing he said about Muslims, okay, I don't really agree, but he said that um, we should ban all Muslim immigration until we get, we this, get a terror- grip on this thing. Yeah. We get a grip on this terrorism thing. Now, is that the worst position ever? I mean, I, I wouldn't support it, but be- basically he's saying we have a national crisis I don't think it is as big a crisis as the conservatives, the republicans in America on mass seem to think it is because given there's billions of Muslims in the world I think if it was a crisis there would be suicide bombs every day yeah. there's enough of them so it's, it's. I don't think the size of the crisis justifies that but supposing it were a crisis that might actually be an expedient position Mm. So it's something that should be debated. It's something that should be reasoned with. Is it a measured response? I I don't think it is, but that's something that Trump should be debated on. He yeah. shouldn't just be called a racist for saying it. No, but it's interesting when you mentioned tolerance. There's a there's something that's actually called liberty tolerance. When you dissect it, it doesn't sound... and It's nothing to do with liberty, but it's called liberty tolerance. And like a lot of things like this that came out of the Frankfurt Schule. Right. Uh, Frankfurt schools were like Herbert Marcuse and a lot of these left-wing Marxist... Uh, you know, uh, Walter thing. Benjamin. Yeah. And, yep. What these guys said was, well, liberty tolerance is about fighting for tolerance for your point of view and your ideas. And, and making sure that your ideas are tolerated by the state and by everybody else. However, under no circumstances should any opposing viewpoint to yours, i.e. the Marxist worldview, uh, leftist worldview, on no circumstances should that be tolerated in any way, shape or form. So actually liberty tolerance is the antithesis of tolerance. And the, the people who most 
bang on usually about tolerance are some of the least intolerant people that I've ever right. met in my life. Well, I mean, completely disagreeing with the Frankfurt School's Marxism, having read some of their stuff, there's a lot of really interesting and insightful observations some of the writers had about society. That notwithstanding, I mean, the philosopher Karl Popper, who is the philosopher of science, mm. I think his views on the philosophy of science are excellent, helpful, and have been widely adopted. He was one of the, the people who said that tolerance of intolerance was damaging to what he called an open society. And he wasn't on the left either. Right. Uh, he actually has been called a reactionary. I think that's just by Marxists who think that anything right of, I don't know, um, Marx is, is right wing. I think the, the main essay was that Michael Walzer, is that the guy you're talking about? It could be. Uh, should we tolerate in, the intolerant was a big influence and has been widely sort of adopted as the modus operandi of the left, at least on campus, which yeah. has culminated in what we call the social justice warrior yeah. movement, which has only really reached ahead in the last few years. I mm. mean, I remember five, six years ago, I wasn't fearful of posting the kind of things that I'm fearful of posting now. And I thought this was an American phenomenon, but I've spoken to some university professors in Edinburgh or in, in Glasgow who say this is a real problem on the campus now yeah. with having to issue, Massive. I don't know if trigger warnings, but you know, it's the safe spaces yeah. and stuff like that. And is there any evidence for this? I mean, isn't university where you go to be challenged? So should you have to tolerate and tolerate people? No! You don't have to hang out with them. Yeah. You don't have to buy their the products. social sanctions. You yeah. can you can ignore them if you want. I think it's better to debate them. Yeah. I mean, I know the idea of look. I'm not even going to debate you because your views are so ridiculous. We had so much of that during the Brexit referendum, where people were just calling you a xenophobe or mm -hmm. a right winger or this or that. And that really derails the argument. I think people need to be equipped with the tools to say that's not an argument yeah. let's get into the reasoning side let's get into the evidence and they're just not they're not equipped for that no the whole reason i think they call it liberty tolerance is because it takes serious liberties with the meaning of the word tolerance <laughs> but anyhow donald trump welcome to scotland um but don't be a dick yeah so that's that's all i've got to say on donald trump um okay Trigger warning. Oh, fuck. Yeah, trigger warning. If there are any uh, feminists out there, male or female, you're going to hear some serious mansplaining uh, okay. coming up. Uh, the reason we're getting into this territory is I read a review of a book at the weekend in the Sunday Times, uh, and the book is called Pimp State. And then the review is by Eleanor Mills. She was She's the editor of the Sunday Times culture magazine. She was also, for a while, I think, the editor at Times on Saturday, but she didn't spend long there. She went back to the Sunday Times for, for whatever reason. But she's read this book called Pimp State, and it's subtitled Sex, Money, and the Future of Equality, and it's by somebody called Kat Banyard. Kat Banyard is very much a feminist. There's a picture of her there, and uh, she looks like a feminist. She's got those specs on. That are, they don't look so much like specs as uh, contact lenses with frames. But uh, I'm saying she looks like a feminist. Janice Fiamenko looks like a feminist. Mm. Uh, Karen Strawn looks like a feminist, but they're anything but. But anyhow, 
She is the founder of Feminista UK, a feminist organisation, and she's also the proud recipient of both uh, Justice for Men and Boys and A Voice for Men's Lying Feminist of the Year wow. Award, right? Which is a, you know, it's quite a lofty title. Um, so, red flags right away for me before I even read this. Now, the, what interested me about it, the, basically the book is about prostitution, the sex industry, lap dancing, porn. But the thing about that article is she hasn't at any point said, you know, okay, it's a good polemic, but she's left the door open here. She hasn't really covered that properly. It's a bit simplistic. There's nothing. There's no there's detraction no from it. There's, there's no, no critique, critique whatsoever so, on that. So either this woman, uh, what's her name in Barnyard, has... Infallibility. Uh, yeah. I mean, she could be the next pope. She's, she's either written a book that is absolutely perfect. She's written the perfect polemic on this subject or Eleanor Mills, you just haven't critiqued it. You've all you've done is decided that this is maybe it. Maybe it fits with her. I own think it does already fit with her pre-existing views, so, which is fine. You know, but say that. Say that, yeah. And I remember reading a book by uh, Brooke Magnanti, PhD. Now that name might not ring a bell to most people, but if I tell her, I tell you that her other name is Belle de Jour the famous you know, high-class prostitute who they turned into a TV series starring Billy Piper. She wrote a book, a non-fictional book, called The Sex Myth, in which she exploded a lot of these myths surrounding the sex industry, that all women who were involved in the sex industry were exploited and it was terrible and yada yada. Now, don't get me wrong. First of all, let me say here, I am sure there are lots of women, right, Maybe even it's the majority, I don't know, in the sex industry who are having a horrific time in terms of violence, in terms of exploitation. I'm sure it goes on. But it's not everybody. But anyway, I'm going to start, I'm just going to read you a bit of this review. And right from the start, it says, uh, The most chilling aspect of 2016's Oscar winning film Spotlight about the uncovering of large scale sexual abuse in the Catholic Church in Boston was how the whole scandal was right under the journalist's noses, hiding in plain sight. People knew. So right out the gate, Eleanor Mills here is equating men who, who use the sex industry as the same as paedophiles. It's, it's a scandal on that scale. Okay, it's what she's insinuating. She goes on to say that this is a barnstorming polemic about uh, porn and lap dancing and prostitution. And just as we now can't believe that domestic violence was once condoned, who condoned domestic violence? In the past. I don't I, I don't understand what she means by that. I don't I don't remember anybody actually saying it was a good thing to beat your wife. I've never heard that in my lifetime. Men who do say that or had or do practice are generally shunned by most decent men that I know. So I don't know whoever condoned uh, violence against women. But anyway, the book goes on. I haven't read this book, I have to say, and I thought to myself when I was going to do this, I thought, look, do I do this and actually give this woman publicity? Is there any other way to do it? And I think, well, no. And the difficulty I have is you can guarantee that Kat Barnyard, Barnyard's a good name because she's full of shit, actually, but I mean, Kat Barnyard, well, it's actually B-A-N, Yard, right? But I'm not going to let that go and get in the way of a good gag, right? But anyway, she's going to go on Loose Women. She's going to go on Women's Hour on Radio 4. She's going to go on Newsnight and nobody is going to call her out. Everybody's just going to take what she says right off the bat. And, uh, you know, the, let's suppose I went out there to, to make a book about how the building trade 
was was terrible and it should be banned, right? We shouldn't have a building industry because people are grossly exploited in it. I could go to Dofar and I could go to Dubai and I could go to China and I could find massive exploitation, slave labour, uh, people working in horrific conditions and say, look, that's what the building industry is. It should be banned immediately. I don't think that that's a, a, a reflective view on exactly what it is. There are thousands of people who work in the building industry and that's not their experience. So you can look for the worst aspects of anything and use it to back for, up your for argument. For me, I yeah. think the important point with that is the fact that it's illegal makes those conditions more likely. Drugs are illegal, so if you want to get drugs, you might have to go to a dodgy alleyway, right? Yeah. If it's not illegal, then there is competition in workers seeking employers. They can be self-employed. A few girls can work together in the same apartment, which is completely illegal at the moment because yeah. that's considered a brothel, yeah. whereas actually it's safer yeah. for the sex workers to actually just rent yeah. a flat. They wouldn't think them. twice about phoning the police if there was anybody giving them any hassle. Or... Exactly. Yeah. Now, you can't check the back of the car to see if there's someone else in there or a weapon. You just need to get in as quickly as possible and you know buzz yeah. off because if you get busted you're in trouble and I think that most of the abuses are because these things grow in the dark they're illegal yeah. they're shady and if they weren't then people would be able to get access to better conditions and better treatment more safety you don't have to approve of prostitution I personally cannot see the appeal of going to a prostitute I've yeah. never wanted to do it I'm not even one of these people who'd go oh well it's not me but I'm in Amsterdam I'll just try it for once personally I don't see the yeah. appeal and, and, but you know. I think that making it illegal is going to create more problems than it solves well, and on the libertarian principle I am a voluntarist yeah. it's a voluntary contract between a man and a woman and it's none of my business even if I do disapprove yeah well I mean if you're a religious person and you have a, you have a view in prostitution for faith reasons you know I can't argue with you you know that's that's your, that's, that's your view and you may be right you know just don't go to prostitutes if that's how you feel but you know there's, there's the reason I mentioned Belle du Jour because she, she wrote a, a robust you know, sort of defence of the sex industry and called it sex work. And this woman, Cat uh, Banyard, has a has a horror of calling it sex work and a horror of calling them sex workers because she thinks that that normalises it and makes it just sound like any other trade, like what it's not. Now, Banyard is a, she says here she's a passionate advocate of the Nordic model of policing prostitution where the punters are criminalised but the women are not. Now. And it That's says here, the Swedish model. Yeah, the sex buyer law first introduced in Sweden in 1999. Now, if you think prostitution should be illegal, okay, you have a point, you have an argument. Why not do both the person who's selling and the person who's buying? But no, nobody would, I don't think anybody would seriously say when it comes to drugs, we should arrest the buyer, but not the pusher. Right. But they have a view, which is that the woman is in the more powerless situation and that they are there for the victims, whereas they see the dealer in the more powerful situation and they're for not the victim. But then not every dealer is in a powerful position. Some dealer might be working for another dealer who's more powerful than him, who and forces so, him to do only, it. Is only dealing because... 
um, they've not got any options the same way as the woman might not have any options. My personal view is that being against prostitution largely comes from a feeling of like, Ugh, I don't like it. I would not right. like to personally be in that position and therefore no one should be in that position. It's from a feeling of disapprobation. Okay. It comes out of a feeling of disapprobation. No, this isn't disapprobation what you do when you can't get, when you can't get laid. <laughs> it comes out of a sense of disapprobation which is then justified with reasoning. I mean, we've got this article in the guardian from about a year and a half ago that says amnesty international says prostitution is a human right but it's wrong now this feminist and i should add there's a lot of feminist groups that are for decriminalization as well but many of them are against it and they're against it because they think it's some kind of patriarchal act. Mm-hmm. Now, this particular feminist thinks she knows better than Amnesty International, who actually researched and got experts in to find out what their position should be. Yeah. And they found out that the model that's in place in New Zealand is the best in the world, and they've decriminalised, and that's what they're advocating. They found that what goes on in Sweden makes things worse for prostitutes. Well, because they've got so many less clients, the clients can now come and offer them less well, money. Well, hang on, she rebuts this, right? She says, like, street prostitution halved between... 90, street prostitution halved between 1999 and 2008, and the proportion of men who pay for sex dropped from 12.7% to 7.6%. Now, how do you arrive at that figure? I don't really know. She does, you know, They don't give you any reason that they managed to arrive at that figure, uh, that men who pay for sex drop. I don't know. I just think they're going elsewhere. They might be going elsewhere. It might be too dangerous. But the women who are still in it need to admit more dangerous conditions for work. And what's more... They can't gain the same income that they would mm-hmm. because the supply is restricted. Yeah. Less people are going and now these um, buyers can bargain yeah. and give them less cash. But quite apart from the fact, if it could be fully decriminalised, this is a choice that someone might make in order to make a lot of money for not doing very much work in terms of time constraints it's something that creates a sense of disapprobation in most of us. Most of us wouldn't want to do it, but there's a percentage of people who make that choice, just the same as the percentage of people who do very, very dangerous jobs for a higher income. Now, if that's what they want to choose, that's their right, and the government interfering with them is not allowing people to make a free decision about what they want to do with their body. I mean, feminists say, my body, my choice. I completely agree with them. It's her body. It's her choice. If you want to help, then by all means, join a charity, do education, pay people not to be prostitutes, 
whatever you want, yeah. but don't use the gun of the state to go around telling people what they can and cannot do in a voluntary interaction. Because you making it illegal for everyone is making it illegal to that percentage yeah. of people who much prefer their job to what they'd find completely boring working in Tesco's. And it's not all arseholes who go. It might be a really lonely person. It might be a really short person. Really ugly person, a disabled person. A disabled person. There's some people who've had the kind of childhoods where they're so insecure that they've never been able to chat up a girl and they're too nervous because they're 30-something and they've never lost their virginity. And having someone who's just... They might need physical touch. They might need that kind of comfort. They might not be a lad. They might just need someone to sit beside them and touch them and be with them. And making it illegal for everyone is making it illegal for them. Well, I'm sure, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Banyard would say something like, "Oh, boo-hoo, you know these poor guys." But let's get nothing compared to what the women go through. And I think what she what she ends up saying it is wrong. The Nordic model is the best way to stamp it out. Privileged sex workers of the Belle de Jour ilk might argue that it victimises women who make their choices freely. But I challenge anyone to read this book and not feel there is something profoundly immoral and wrong about all of this, and it's there in plain sight. Well, I mean, I don't so know, she's a conservative. Well, she's yeah, there's this weird a, alliance between like religious conservatives and you know left-wing feminists. It's bizarre. But here's here's the thing I was going to say. I'm sure this this horrific things going on. And she talks about trafficking as well. The fa- as far as I know, the vast majority of people who are trafficked are men and they're trafficked for hard labour. Are you honestly telling me that somebody who's worked to death in the blazing sun in Dubai or Dofar or one of these places is somehow better off than a woman who's working in a brothel under under terrible conditions? I don't know, you could probably make a case that at least a brothel's going to be clean in some instances... Uh, you know, you're, you're inside, out of the, the sun or the rain or whatever it is. But, yeah, I, I don't think a guy who's worked to death is any worse off, than, or sorry, any better off than a woman that's in the sex industry. Nobody's saying that anybody should be forced. Nobody's saying that anybody should be coerced. But I think we could free up the police to do that job more effectively yes. if we decriminalised. And also because it's in the light, I mean, you'll hear a lot of, anti-sex works advocates saying oh it opens the door for child prostitution and so forth well that's why we need to shine a light on it that's why we need to bring this industry out of dark alleyways and into the light where it can be policed according to the needs of a legal industry my sort of final word on this is I mean you probably disagree with me I think there's something deeper than just an icky feeling about sex and, and I think that men's demand alright they might not like the word demand men's requirement for sex is legitimate you know it's a legitimate requirement and if you're like I've both said if you're disabled if you're hideously disformed you know you kind of need as I say it might just be human touch as well that you need and where do they go how do they get it but I think there's something deeper here with feminists of the banyard type I think it's really about barrier to entry okay bad turn of phrase barrier to access if you control money, you control people. Baron, uh, is it Amstel Rothschild that said, if you give me the power to in- to issue and control a, a nation's currency, I, care, that, not I care not who makes the laws. If you control money, you control governments. If you control food, you control people. Game, set, and match. If you control sex and the access to sex, you can effectively control men. 
How else do you access that? You know, unless you're a good little boy and you sit up and beg and you do roll it. over and do exactly what you're told when you're told, you won't get access to the cookie jar. So that, and, and I think this is really what the extreme feminists problem is with the sex industry. Or they're unconsciously motivated. Well, I'm not saying that Banyard doesn't genuinely care about the plight of sex, some of the sex no, workers. I, just, I, I, I yeah. think that she does. But I think there's a wider... Do, you, do I think do it's it, conscious? I think it is conscious in the wow. part of, of, of some of them, yeah. I would say, if that is true, it's unconscious. I mean, one of the things that feminists legitimately... Uh, complain about as a social pressure on women is not to sleep around whereas you know a man's can often be measured by how many women he can sleep with a woman's measured by how many women she uh, how many men she's not sleeping with yeah but i think that pressure comes more from other women and in this instance i can see that on some unconscious level women might feel like oh well she's being a slut that's making vaginas more available yeah. and that's bad sexual economics for us because that lowers the value of my vagina i'm not sure if i agree with you on this prostitution thing but it's definitely a, a point worth considering well you know the old adage you know uh, they are the lock keepers you know and, and a lock that can be opened by any key is a shite lock whereas right. a key that can open any lock is a fucking master key you know <laughs> And it's like, you know, so the women are the gatekeeper. They decide who who does and who doesn't sleep with them. It's women who generally make the decision about whether sex are, is going to take place saying, or not. Well, it is with me. Are you, yeah. say that, <laughs> are you saying that men propose, women dispose? <laughs> well, that's a good turn of phrase. Did you come up with it? No, it was uh, <laughs> Stefan Molyneux, that well-known misogynist. Okay. Anyway. Well, anyway, that's all I've got to say on the... On I the, want to pick the, up one point. Sure, okay. Just on this... Lady who wrote this book. Yeah, Eleanor Mills, you did know say, lady. Yeah. Did you say this? It's not all right, Lady qu- Eleanor. She said, I challenge anyone to read this book and not feel there is something profoundly immoral and wrong about all of this. And it is there in plain sight. Well, firstly, feelings are not tools of cognition. There you go with your mansplaining, Mr. Right. Samarov. Right, you know, feelings are what it's all about. Don't you know that? N- n- none of your patriarchal facts and reason and evidence. Thank you very just, much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, two points. First of all, feelings are not tools of cognition. Right, okay. Says okay. you, Mr. Man. <laughs> the only thing that feelings tell you are your values. Okay. What you, what you value. They have personal significance, they have psychological significance, and they have social significance. As in, in interpersonal significance. As in, if you get annoyed about something when we're debating, hopefully I care more about you being annoyed than being right, and we can sort that out and then continue with the debate. If I don't care about your feelings, then we're probably not going to get on in the long term, Mm -hmm. or vice versa. But that wasn't my main point. My main point is, she says, you can't help but feel there's something profoundly immoral and wrong about all of this. And I said, so she's a conservative. Mm. Because I think one of the really important distinctions between conservatives and libertarians is conservatives believe in imposing their morality Mm -hmm. on society. That's where they differ from the left and that's where they differ from us. And I think it's really important if we're to break out of the left-right 
paradigm. paradigm or even if we apply it against our enemies people need to start calling out conservative views as mm. conservative yeah. and when a so-called liberal or a socialist yeah. starts saying something like that people need to go you're being conservative yeah so with that with that be libertarians don't be a lefty or a righty